Are you ready for some scripture? This is the place. And good morning and welcome everyone. Spirit Mornings on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Bruce McGregor, delighted to be joined by Sharon Doran. Good morning, Bruce. And good morning to you. Sharon, of course, the director of Seeking Truth. Uh, she's an experienced Bible study teacher with a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge all of us to immerse ourselves in God's Word and apply that message to everyday life. Uh, currently pursuing a second master's degree in biblical studies at the Augustine Institute. Uh, Sharon invited by the Archdiocese of Omaha's Adult Faith Formation Office to do a Catholic Bible study for men and women in the Omaha area. That will be convening tonight again as well. On, right, Sharon? That's right. We meet on Thursday evenings, and what a joy and privilege it has been, Bruce, to uh, teach Scripture in a Catholic way, uh, just using the fullness and, and uh, all the... Oh, I, I love it. It's, it's been a gift to me. Absolutely. As uh, has your husband, Dr. Stephen Doran, and five lovely sons mm. that, uh, that you two have, which is uh, wonderful. So, And uh, you are parishioners at St. Margaret Mary's Parish as well. That's so. right. And the sons keep us very humble. <laughs> and busy, I'll bet. <laughs> Well, Sharon, uh, we have been working our way through the prologue of John, and uh, we had uh, definitely uh, a wonderful uh, spiritual-filled close to uh, the last time you were here a couple of weeks mm. back, and uh, so we thought we would probably want to address uh, this beautiful crescendo in the prologue, which uh, is verse 14. Right. Uh, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Uh, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were talking about uh, tabernacling there at the end and uh, how that Eucharistic presence of Christ is in every Catholic church tabernacle everywhere in the world. That's right. I, I was just in your chapel here, Bruce, uh, early this morning, and you have that painted on the walls. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And it's just, oh, it's just so pregnant with meaning, really. Um, so full. And that's where we ended last time. And so just to recap, um, and, and I like to go to, uh, I like to look at the Greek words, the Hebrew words, and even different translations, because sometimes you'll get a little key. And the key there for me was the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And then we went through all the ways in the Old Testament, God tabernacled among the people, how the whole goal was to be in the presence of the living God. And this was so different from the nations around them, the pagan nations. This was a real God with a single God and a, uh, a one nation. Name, and he gave Moses his, his name, I am who I am. And so the whole goal throughout the Old Testament was to tabernacle among him. And then through Christ, I, I love how God just gradually, through salvation history, how he has gradually revealed himself to his people. And uh, isn't that beautiful? Through word and deed, both working together. And here, 2,000 and some years later, he still reveals himself to us. And the word uh, is still tabernacling with us and making his presence known in our own lives. It's so personal. And, and so, uh, yeah, that, that was a great crescendo of the, of the prologue. Mm -hmm. yeah, and we were uh, talking a little bit as well. Uh, the Holy Father, Benedict XVI, has been giving at his uh, Wednesday audiences uh, teachings on many of the wonderful women uh, throughout time, the women saints in the Catholic Church. And uh, uh, this uh, past Wednesday focused on uh, St. Juliana, and uh, how she helped to inaugurate the widely celebrated feast of the Corpus Christi. Uh, mm -hmm. She had a vision, convinced her of that surpassing importance of the Eucharist, 
uh, in which he envisioned a new liturgical feast to deepen belief in Jesus' sacramental presence. Uh, and eventually uh, she disclosed that to a couple of her companions, got to uh, one of the bishops in the area, and uh, he began uh, what has now become the Feast of Corpus Christi, which is mm. just after Easter. And uh, we have, of course, uh, Corpus Christi celebrations here in Omaha that we broadcast live on the radio station. So mm. the Eucharist is at work, Sharon. That's right. And John is so Eucharistic and, and so sacramental. And he'll start off in John 6 with the um, all four Gospels will have that multiplication of the loaves and just a prefigurement of Eucharist before he actually institutes the Eucharist uh, at the Last Supper. And then on the road to Emmaus, when they're again... Nothing's making sense until he breaks the bread, and then the Word of God is just burning within them. And so it's just its just uh, beautiful how it's a gradual revelation. He knows we're human. He knows we can't take it all in at once. And so he gradually, through word and deed, reveals himself to us. And one way is through the sacred scriptures. So should, should we go on to the next verse? Absolutely. Let's do that, uh, because uh, this will begin our discussion about uh, John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse 15, John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And verse 16, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Ah, okay. So so this is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he has come before me. And you think, what is he talking about? Mm -hmm. And when we think back of Zechariah and Elizabeth, that faithful, faithful couple that was waiting, waiting, waiting for a child, and they were barren, and they were righteous, and people in town must have looked at them and, and thought, mm, what sin are they in that they that God's not blessing them with the blessing of a child? And God, God uh, comes to them and tells Zechariah that they are going to have a child. He's in the temple. He draws the lot in the Holy of Holies. He is a priest. And uh, you wait your whole life when you were a priest to, to maybe get the chance to go into the Holy of holies and his number has been pulled and he's going to go in before the holies of holies and that's a chance for that priest to pray for all of israel but you know he might have been thinking of he and elizabeth also wanting a child i'm in the holy of holies and you can you know can't you see elizabeth saying while you're in there could you mention that we're barren (laughs) but really that also would be that personal desire would also be for the salvation of all of israel and really the whole world as he would herald the way for christ but we do know that elizabeth gets pregnant before Mary, because Mary goes to help her. And so uh, she has conceived first, but the one that comes after him, Jesus Christ, his, his cousin, actually existed before him because he existed before the beginning of time. He exists with God the Father right in that first sentence in Genesis. We saw that. So so the one coming after has already existed before him, and John knows that. And then he says, out of his fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. So uh, John's going to use uh, the word grace twice in his in his letter, this, this gospel. And here they both are, are right here, grace upon grace. And uh, we know that uh, the law was good. It wasn't that the law of Moses was bad. Anything God gives is always good. But we know that by this time in Israel's history, the scribes and Pharisees, Sadducees, they had they had put fences around the law, and they had made the law just a, a ball and chain around the neck of the people. So the law was given through Moses. It was good, but it had grown and grown and grown and grown. But grace and truth is going to come through Jesus Christ. So this will be a new a new concept, what this all means. Let's nudge into one more thing here. Okay. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
Uh, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Just how, how God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were one God in three persons. And this is a new concept. Trinity, uh, they knew from Shema that God is one. But now now they're, they're understanding this in a new way. And I love Hebrews 1. Uh, it has the same idea that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, the exact representation of God the Father. So when we know Jesus Christ, we know the Father. When we know the Father, we know the Son. And he has sustained all things by his powerful word. And so, and and then after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of his majesty in heaven. The work was done. After all had been, after the atonement had truly been won, he sits down at the Father's right hand. And then we know the Holy Spirit's unleashed to, to help us live this out. But um, just that God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, you know one, you know the other. Let's uh, maybe set the stage for people chronologically here. What it was like to be yeah. a Jew in the first century. Bruce, I think that is really important because we just we just can't imagine. Put yourself back as a first century Jew. And they had not heard from the Lord in a very, very, very long time, mm-hmm. over 500 years. Malachi was the last prophet. And uh, so they're waiting. They're waiting. They've been exiled. They've come back. They have the period of Maccabees, which, which is victorious for them. But, but this is not a pleasant time in history. Right Right now, they are under the rule of Herod, King Herod. And King Herod is a puppet king. He's hired by Rome. He's from. He's an Edomite. And he's not uh, even in the royal line of King David. So they're not going to really accept him. And it's really a great time of great oppression. Rome has rule over, over Jerusalem. They are being oppressed. They're paying heavy, heavy taxes. There's brutal violence. And uh, Herod, is his health is failing. And he puts uh, three sons in charge. And it's Archelaus that he puts in charge of uh, Judea. And that's the southern region where Jerusalem is. And, you know, this guy (laughs) is not a nice ruler. Uh, When the Jews pilgrim, they they make a pilgrimage there. They're required to, for Passover, three feasts, they have to go to Jerusalem. Passover is one of them. And there were huge riots at Passover time. Uh, In this period, 3,000 Jewish pilgrims uh, had, had been killed. Um, 2,000 Jewish rebels were crucified. Archelaus was not a good leader. Uh, he sends in, he calls for thousands of Roman soldiers to help keep peace at Passover time. Passover, just things get riled up. And then these men, these Jewish men that have been um, the horrible violence, they have to come back again in 50 days to Jerusalem for Pentecost. That's another required feast day. And so you can just imagine, they go back to Galilee and they tell what happened. Women were being raped, uh, heavy violence, people were being killed. I mean, this is is, uh, so they are waiting for a Messiah. They are waiting for someone to come, as God had promised. And, you know, they just, things had been quiet. They hadn't had a prophet for a long time. But one thing Malachi said is that uh, Elijah's going to come back before Messiah. So they're waiting for Elijah. And uh, because that's what the prophet said, that Elijah would come back. And when we uh, know that Zechariah was in that temple and he was praying, and do you remember which angel comes to him? Um, and, and it's a popular, popular angel, came to Mary, came to Elizabeth. The mm-hmm. angel that comes in the temple to Zechariah is Gabriel. So when Zechariah is in before the Holy of Holies and the angel Gabriel speaks to him, 
guess when the last time Gabriel had been heard in, in salvation history? The last time, and Zechariah would have known this, the last time they heard from Gabriel was in Daniel's prayer in Daniel 9. And uh, Daniel uh, is talking about Gabriel, the man that he had seen in a vision. And he told uh, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you begin to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you. And he's telling him that 77s are decreed for your people. 77s, and, and we call this 70 weeks of years. This is 70 times 7, which would be 490 years. Mm -hmm. So they've been waiting for 490 years, and guess what? That time is now. If you figure out the math, and Luke really helps us with that. Luke is an awesome uh, guy for details. And as Luke goes through that, and he talks about... Um, um, you know, how many days it would have been for each thing. Okay, for instance, the Annunciation to Zechariah, that would have been six months. Uh, she was six months pregnant. That's 180 days. Then the Annunciation of Mary was nine months, another 270 days. Jesus' birth to the presentation in Hippo was another 40 days. And if you add that all up, guess how many days that is exactly? 490. 490 days. So 70 weeks of years. The time, they knew the time was coming. They knew the time was close. And a lot of people are out there claiming to be the Messiah. A lot of zealous Jewish people men are saying, I'm the Messiah, and people would listen to what he had to say, and eh, they might stick with him a while, and eh, he's not the Messiah. Yeah. Well, wait, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. Well, let's hear what he's got to say. Well, now there's a new guy in town, and it's John the Baptist, and he's out in the river baptizing, clear outside of town, and people are flocking to him in, in droves, and he's taking uh, business away from the temple. And so they're going to send a group of Levites out to say, who is this guy? Why He's saying that sins can be washed away out here in the temple. Wait a minute! You got uh, out here in the Jordan River. You got to come to temple to atone for sins. You got to buy sacrifices. You got to burn them morning, night, morning, night, morning, night, morning, night. Why are they all flocking out to the desert? Who is this guy? So, so let's go on with these verses here in the prologue. All right. So uh, here we go, picking it up at verse nineteen. What a great background. <laughs> Doesn't it kind of help you feel like, oh. like, oh my gosh, it must have been just uh, utter turmoil yeah. in this area. Yeah. yeah. So at verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. At verse 21, they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Right. Okay, so he is not First of all, he's going to say who he's not. I am not the Messiah. He will not take that glory. He could have, could have easily. People were flocking to him. He surely could have said, yeah, I'm the one. Mm -hmm. But no, he, he knows his calling. He knows it clearly from God. And he had been preparing for years out in the desert, communing with God, getting ready to prepare the way. He knew his calling. And, uh, and, and it was a radical call. And uh, so he says, no, I am not the prophet. And then, and then what did they ask him? Are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? And he says, no, no, I'm not Elijah. And uh, what else did they ask him? I'm losing my spot. Oh, well, they just asked, uh, are you the prophet? And he said, no. No, no, he's, he won't take that glory. But then what does he say? Uh, let's see. Where are we, Bruce? Okay, here we go. Are you Elijah? No, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answers no. And then finally they say, well, who are you? Give us an answer so we can take back to those who sent us. Who, what do you say about yourself? Mm -hmm. And he says, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight 
the way for the Lord. And that brings us right to Isaiah 40. And that was uh, a time uh, when Isaiah was was preaching a message of comfort for God's people. And it's a song in, in Handel's Messiah, Comfort, comfort ye my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Here they are in this horrible time of, of, of political upheaval. And, and he says her, her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then it says, there's a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And that's exactly what John's doing. John the Baptist is out there in the desert, and he's making straight a highway. He's saying, repent, repent, repent of your sins. Get ready, get ready. One's coming. He's greater than me. I can't even untie the the strap of his sandal. I'm not even worthy to, uh, uh, one is coming, one is coming. Make straight a a highway. And then that uh, reading from Isaiah goes on to say that every valley is going to be raised up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The rough ground is going to become level. A rugged place will be made plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. So, So there you go. All people are, this is going to be for all. That's one thing all the way through the Gospel of John, the the Jews, the Pharisees and Sadducees are not going to like that this is for all because they were keeping themselves separate. They felt the more separate we are, the holier we'll be. And, and we know that Jesus Christ came for all. And so the glory of the Lord is now being revealed. The word has become flesh. It's dwelling among them. It's tabernacling among them. John is heralding the way. He's out in the desert baptizing. And and I'm talking too much, Bruce, but oh, I got to tell fine. you about this location where he's baptizing. Mm-hmm. Because in the scripture here, um, what does it say? That he's, uh, verse 28, uh, well, the Pharisees, do you want to read 24? To yeah, let's go to uh, 24 to 28. Okay. Uh, now, the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, uh, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This is all happening at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Okay, okay. What I want to draw attention there is Bethany. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a biblical town called Bethany, and you might remember that's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, and that's where Lazarus is raised from the dead. That is nowhere near the Jordan. Right. (laughs) So so I I, uh, went to some other translations, and in the King James, the word is Bethabara. Now, that makes a lot more sense, because uh, Bethabara is right on, it's an old city, and it's right on on the Jordan River, and it's out in the wilderness. And this, this, this is where the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ took place by John the Baptist. And the interesting thing there is that Be'at Abara in Hebrew uh, is the lowest point on the face of the earth. It's the Dead Sea Depression. Mm, and okay. it's, it's so here is God of the universe going to the absolute lowest point place on the face of the earth to step into the Jordan and submit himself to baptism. That to me is incredible. And uh, when you go to the the Holy Land, um, and we were lucky enough to go last year, there are people all over trying to get you to go into the Jordan River and, uh, and, and put on a white robe and be baptized. Well, we had already been baptized as infants, and we know that it took. <laughs> and yeah. so we didn't pay the money, and we didn't stand on the line. But those weren't even the place where Jesus was baptized. And so uh, we were with uh, Dr. Tim Gray from the Augustine Institute, and uh, 
uh, the driver, we were, there were only six of us, so that was lucky. But the driver said, do you want to go to the real place, the real place where Jesus was baptized? And of course, Dr. Gray's like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 that's okay. This is fine. Because he said, you're going to have to go through it. We'd have to get military clearance. We'd have to go through a lot of landmines, and it's not open to the public. And I said, oh, no, 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 that's fine. And uh, the next morning, we get the call that we've got a military escort, and we're going to Bethabara. Wow. And so we drive through uh, barbed wire and absolutely no photography and in three languages it says landmines danger landmines danger and and we drive into the jordan river at that location and no one is there and uh dr gray opens the scriptures to us well some very important things happened at this exact location one thing was in judges 7 gideon defeats the midianites there and it's like 100 men against 130,000 men and another wonderful thing right at that location in joshua 4 beth abara is called in hebrew means the house of the crossing and what happened there is joshua went into the promised land being, and then they, they took the Ark of the Covenant across right there. Wow. The waters opened up and they went across on dry shot right at that spot. The other thing that is amazing that happened at that exact location is that is where Elijah went up in a fiery chariot. And he uh, rolls up his mantle and, and throws it down to Elisha, giving him a double portion of the Holy Spirit. But the Jordan River again parts right there at that location. And so this location is huge, huge, huge. And you know, in real estate, it's location, location, location. Mm -hmm. So much had happened at this spot. And this spot is where Jesus Christ steps into the water and John the Baptist puts his hands on him, baptizes him, the heavens open, and there's a theophany of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That rarely happens in scripture. And God says, this is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased. And that's when John knows, oh, this is the one, this is the one, because the one, God told him that the one the Spirit stays on, and this is the one, this is Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is Elijah uh, gives his mantle to Elisha here. Uh, Elijah's kind of, a, I would say, a prefigurement of John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. He has the wild hair, and he, he's out in the desert, and he's, he, his miracle, he's so charismatic, and his miracles are so amazing, and he's such a hero uh, to, the, to the Jews. But Elisha gets a double portion of the Spirit, and Elisha, Yeshua, God saves, would prefigure Jesus. Jesus Christ, when John baptizes Jesus, Jesus uh, gets a double portion of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is. So do you see how those two parallel? Elijah wow. parallels John the Baptist, Elisha parallels Jesus, and it's at that same spot. I love that. Yeah. So were you glad you went? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and people say, well, how do you know that was the exact spot? Well, um, even though it, with, the, with the war, it's been, all, mm -hmm. uh, it's been all roped off and people, the public can't get there. They're trying to get it reopened. They're trying to get Jordanian clearance. But you know it's the spot because there's a Syrian Orthodox monastery there. There's an Ethiopian Abyssin uh, Abyssinian monastery there. A Franciscan chapel is there. A Greek Orthodox church is there. A Byzantine monastery is there. Now they're all shelled out and they're empty and they're evacuated. Mm -hmm. But why do all these different uh, yeah. faiths build right there at this spot? So this is the spot um, on the Jordan River where uh, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. All right. Well, Sharon, let's move into John's testimony about Jesus at uh, verse 29 now. Uh, the next day, John saw Ooh. Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, Bruce, you know how every man loves to be called a lamb. Yep. 
<laughs> Chris might call you Lammy. But uh, uh, why? Why is John saying Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? The first time they see him and John says, look, there's the Lamb of God. Well, every Jewish person, the minute he said Lamb of God, would have known lamb, 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 lamb. There's some very uh, important scriptures that would have jogged their mind. The first one, uh, the very first one in the Bible where a lamb is mentioned is in Genesis 22. And that's when Abraham and Isaac are climbing up Mount Moriah and it's on the third day. And Isaac's saying, Dad, Dad, where's the lamb? We forgot the lamb for the sacrifice. Uh, and, and here's Isaac climbing this mountain with the wood on his back. He's, he's, he's older at this point. He could have run away. And, and Dad, Dad, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God, will provide the lamb. Well, we know how the story ends, um, and he's not called to sacrifice his son. God stops him just in time, and there's a ram in the thicket. Not a lamb, but a ram. That's not a typo. That's intentional because they're still waiting for the lamb. God will provide a lamb. And then later in salvation history with Moses, a huge scripture is in Exodus 12, and it's when God gives them the Passover lamb. And this is there to mark their doorposts with the blood of the lamb if they're going to be passed over by the angel of death. They're trying to get out of bondage of Pharaoh, and they're marking their doors, and they're to, to take a lamb that's blemish-free, and they're not to leave any of it behind. They're supposed to fully consume it. Doesn't that remind you of our Lamb of God, our Eucharist is to be fully consumed, not a, not a crumb is to be left behind. And uh, that Lamb of God, that Passover Lamb is going to save them from death. And our Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ, just saves us from death and bondage of sin. And then the other Lamb they might have thought about is in Isaiah 53. Uh, it's the suffering servant, uh, Isaiah, beautiful passage, when, when it says that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears silent. He did not open his mouth. And we know when Christ came before Pilate, he was like a lamb led to the slaughter silently still. So all these images, John the Baptist says, look, look, there's the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That must have just, uh, in this in this time of just waiting and hoping and hoping for a savior, for a Messiah, an anointed one to come and save them from this horrible oppression. And then, look, the lamb, the lamb of God, this is hopeful for the people. This is exciting. This is the biggest thing that's happened, you know, really, in yeah. all in all salvation history, the coming of our Lord. Yeah, and for John to be able to announce that. Wow. Mm. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, just continue. Uh, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. At verse 31, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down mm. from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So doesn't that seem to you like, you know, John knew he was to herald the way. He knew there was one coming. He knew he was to announce it. He knew, you know, but, but it seems like at this point, 
when the heavens open and the, the and God the Father says, "This is my Son," and and He says He sees the Spirit resting and stays on Jesus, then He knew this is the one. This is a kid he had played with when he was little. Mm-hmm. You know, this this is a kinsman. This is, you know, you can just imagine these two. But but even in the artwork, after age 12, 13, we really don't see them together much anymore. And I assume that is when John was sent out to the desert, and he probably took a Nazarite vow uh, in Numbers 6. Um, there was a, a Nazarite vow, and, and the angel had told Zechariah and Elizabeth that this child was to not ever have fermented drink and was to prepare the way, was to... So, so I'm assuming that after that time in their life, they weren't together that much anymore. And when Jesus comes and John sees the heavens tear open and the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son and the spirit stays on him, John knew. John knew this is the Lamb of God, and he repeats that a second time, and any time it's repeated, uh, that draws extra emphasis. So he again says, this is the, the Lamb, this is the Lamb. So um, that is reminiscent to me, too, of the transfiguration, because they're waiting for Elijah. They're waiting for Elijah. And Jesus actually uh, tells us in Matthew 11 that this is, this is Elijah. For those who have ears to hear, this is Elijah. John the Baptist comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's what the angel said in Luke. That's what is told now. Elijah has come, and and, and it's, it's John the Baptist. And if you don't believe that, there was also the transfiguration, and James, John, and Peter witnessed it. I witnessed it. And who appeared there? Elijah and Moses. So Elijah had come back. Have you ever been to a Jewish Seder, Bruce? I have not. And and they set a place for Elijah because they're waiting because Elijah is supposed to come back. And they set a place for him and the kids, uh, they, they fill up his chalice with wine. And, and sometimes the kids will say, oh, look, he took a sip. His, his wine is lower. They're waiting for him. Maybe he'll come in tonight. Well, Jesus said, for those who have ears to hear, Elijah has come. And that's John the Baptist. All right. Sharon, amazing. Hmm. I hate that uh, we run out of time. What? Is it time? <laughs> yeah, oh, no. unfortunately. And uh, well, maybe we'll uh, we'll pick this up as uh, John's disciples uh, follow Jesus and uh, keep moving through uh, the prologue here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing. Thank you, Sharon Doran. My pleasure, Bros. <laughs> it's a real delight. By the way, I just wanted to thank uh, you and your wonderful husband, Steve, for being a co-chairs for our Spirit Award dinner. Uh, we had a blast at that. It oh. was a great to see Sister there. And uh, oh, Her talk just moved me to tears several times. It was just beautiful. That is a fun night. Uh, anyone who didn't go, go next year. Be, there's right. no auction. There's, it's just fun. Yeah, well, good evening. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, Sharon. We appreciate it. God bless.